Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali. Joining me, I've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. Adam Vitali. Hello. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we don't have Josh today. It is simultaneously a birthday in the family that he's celebrating, and he is troubleshooting some uh, computer issues. So hopefully we'll get him back next week. If you listen back to the podcast from last week, uh, we had a huge rundown of all the news that came out of Gamescom. And there's a few uh, things that we'll be tidying up here at the you know, the following week, things that we just quite missed on the last podcast. And we're kind of in the gap between Gamescom, which was last week, and in two weeks from now, we have Tokyo Game Show. So not next week's podcast, but I believe in two weeks from now, it'll literally be like during day three or four of Tokyo Game Show. And in the last couple of days, a lot of the publishers have just started to detail what their streaming events are, what their trailers are. So we'll go through some of that here today about kind of what we're looking forward to. Uh, so we're kind of in the gap week between the... Uh, the August rush of news and releases, and then going into September, obviously. Some of us have been spending time finishing up games from the last couple of months. I personally have finally finished Xenoblade 3. Uh, I am still kind of interested in potentially doing a sort of spoiler cast, or at least a spoiler op an open spoiler discussion on the game, but obviously we'll want to wait until Josh is back to do that, so stay tuned on that. We have a couple of the August, re August releases that people have been playing through. Uh, we're going into September and looking forward to what games are later in the month from that that we're going to be playing. Uh, but... A lot of our game discussion today is going to be kind of uh, a little bit of uh, off-the-wall stuff that we been, have been squeezing in between the releases of these two months. Uh, I have listed here that the first game on our list that we're going to be talking about, and this is actually related to a, a recent piece of news in a very tangential way, is that Adam took the time to play through Kudelka. Now, Adam, I know some people listening might know what Kudelka is, but many probably don't. And so what is Kudelka? Why have you played it? And like, just let us know your thoughts. Yeah, so, you know, last week we talked about the announcement of the Kickstarter for uh, Arm Fantasia and Pennyblood, which are basically spiritual successors from the original creators for, respectively, the Wild Arms uh, RPG series and the uh, Shadowheart series. Now, the Shadowheart series itself is three games, all on the PlayStation 2. It's Shadowhearts, Shadowhearts Covenant, Shadowhearts from the New World. Um, so it's a trilogy. However, it did have a prequel that, it, that Shadow Hearts effectively spun off of. And that prequel is on the PlayStation 1, and it's called Kudelka. And I had mentioned in a previous podcast that I had played all the Wild Arms games, I had played all the Shadow Hearts games, but I hadn't played Kudelka. And I, I, last week I had finished Soul Hackers 2. You know, I'm still I'm waiting for games from September that I'm interested to come out. So I'm like, hey, you know what? This game, Kudelka... Uh, it's not very long, you know, it's, it's listed to be like 15 hours, roughly, and I have never played it, so why not? Let me slot that in, and I own it, so I decided to, get, I decided to play through it. What so do you own it on? This, Just curious, like if someone wanted I to play have, it. I have, a play, I have a PlayStation 1 disc. Uh, I don't have a ah, PlayStation okay. 1, but I just play it on the PlayStation 3, and I still have my PlayStation 3 hooked up, so I can play PlayStation 1 games. Um, hey, but it works. So, if you're not familiar with Shadow Hearts, it is a it is a traditional like style JRPG in terms of like turn based you know settings you get a party and whatnot but it has it has a sort of gothic horror feel tone theme to it so it, it even call themselves like gothic horror RPGs which aren't too common really 
in these series. There are a few you can point out, but Shadow Hearts is one of like the premier series I think out of a series that doesn't have that many, or out of a genre, if you, if you will, that doesn't have that many to choose from. Um, so Kodelka was kind of the first of that set before Shadow Hearts spun off of it, and it's a game that you that is set in a monastery slash. It's like a church slash prison, uh, I believe, uh, somewhere in. Oh, let me look this up. Give me a second. Who, who is the developer of uh, this? The game? I'll look that up. Yeah, it was created by Hiroki Kakuta, who was formerly of Square, and they, they formed Sacknoth to develop specifically this game. Is that is this the only game they made? Uh, oh no, they they were also developers of Shadow Hearts, but only they just didn't use the Sacknoth title after that. But yeah, so this game was originally released for the uh, uh, PlayStation 1, and uh, it is the prequel to the Shadow Hearts series. Just give me a sec here. I'm looking up where it's set. It's in a monastery slash prison in Wales, I believe. Yeah, in Wales. In the late, like right around the turn of the century to the 1900s. Yep. And so Kudelka is a witch. She's like a gypsy witch. Now, I know gypsy is not a word you're supposed to use, but that's sort of what they call her. And also, she refers to herself as a Rome. Um, just depending on who you are in the game, they that's what they describe her as. Again, this game came out in 1997. Um, or 1999, excuse me. And uh, she is drawn to this monastery area because she hears a spirit basically calling to her. And when she become when she arrives there, she meets two other characters there. One is Edward, who is basically just a vagabond. He's a thief. He's looking for treasures and women and whatnot. And another is uh, James, who is a um, like a bishop, and he's there for unknown reasons. You figure that out later. And those are your three party members in the game. So it's kind of a set permanent party that you get. And the game is sort of it kind of gives me a vibe of a few other games. It kind of reminds me of. A vagrant story in the sense that it has a similar graphical style in terms of its, you know, uh, polygonal uh, characters and design and whatnot. It kind of reminds me of the original Resident Evils because every room in the mansion has like a permanent kind of set camera, um, like a, a fixed camera is what I mean. And um, also you're basically in an abandoned, literally like evil residence. Um, wondering kind of what happened there, so kind of it's like it feels like a mix of these of these other games in a turn-based RPG setting, and there's also survival like elements to it as you explore the rooms of this monastery slash prison. Uh, you're you're finding uh, ammo for your guns, you're finding uh, health items, you're finding new um, new weapons and things like that that you can use. Like you can find a rifle and you can find a shotgun and things like that. Um, so the thing about this game that I appreciated most is that it's it's got a confined setting. It's not like a, you know, a lot of, especially Japanese, well, I guess all RPGs really usually kind of have like these escalating scales. Like it ends up being like a world-bending epic event um, and sometimes have like hundreds of characters or whatnot. This is a confined setting all set in a single building, basically. You only get the three playable characters and there's just a few other characters alongside. And it's relatively short, you know, like I said, I beat it in like 13 hours, if, even if you take your time, no longer than 15 hours. Um, so it's a pretty just, you know, self-contained game, and I appreciate it for that. Um, it is turn-based. Now, the biggest uh, downside to, to Godelka is that the game feels like it's barely holding itself together. It is very slow. You have to have a lot of patience to play this game because 
Um, it's a turn-based RPG, and in between every turn, uh, the game just takes a long time to switch to the next character. Oh, so you, feels so like, you mean just like technically it's Yeah, technically slow. I mean, kind of by design too, but just technically it takes a long time for actions to happen for the character turn to switch to the next character to literally render like the, the ability that you're using in the battle. It's a very slow game. Uh, I played it on not original hardware, but I played the original version on a PlayStation three. Uh, I'm assuming you could get a emulated version and kind of fix a lot of those things um, in terms of, in terms of its performance. But that's kind of the biggest drawback to the game is that you kind of have to go into it unknowing that like, okay, this game is, uh, it's a little bit of a slog to play through. Um, but it's kind of a, just an interesting little story. You're basically learning about what happened to this mansion and the events that were going there. Um, you know, I know it's an old game, but I don't want to spoil it. And you you learn, like, why James is there. You learn about the voice that was calling calling out to Kodelka at the beginning of the game and what happens to her. Um, in, in terms of, like, the game, like, mechanics, it's just pretty typical. Uh, like I said, kind of a mix between RPG and survival. But in terms of just like the tone and the style and the feel of the game, I think it's really cool. It's obviously very similar to Shadow Hearts. Um, it's worth mentioning that it, this is like canon to Shadow well, Hearts. I, I was going to ask, like I was going to wait till the next, like the next break. But you mentioned before that this game was self-contained, but it's also kind of like this unofficial, semi-official Shadow Hearts prequel, but came out bef- like not really a prequel because it came out before Shadow Hearts, right? So, like, to yeah. what extent is this connected? To what extent do you feel like this is? Like, if someone wanted to play through the Shadow Heart series, is this part of that series? Like, it seems like it's yeah. in a really weird, like, middle stage. Yeah, so... I said the story is self-contained. Like, when you finish Kudelka, there's no, like... If you didn't know that there was a sequel series that followed it, there would be no indication that there would be, right? Um, right. So, it's, like, it's the story at the end of this is, is done. Um, it's over. Uh, Kudelka, it is canonically, officially a sequel... To, or a pre, I guess there's technically the the best word to be like predecessor because it's not a, it was it was developed first. Um, Kudalka, the character who's also the name of the game, uh, does show up in Shadow Hearts as sort of like a side character. There's like a little bit of a small story arc around her, and so when I played Shadow Hearts, you know, a long time ago, she just kind of felt like a character in that game that you meet and you learn about, and she's a witch, and she's, I believe, if I remember correctly, she's being detained in Shadow Hearts. I didn't really know her backstory other than what Shadow Hearts told me, but this game is that. So it's just sort of like, she shows up in the original Shadow Hearts as like another character, so if you play Kudelka first, you get that additional context about who she is and basically uh, like an event that happened in her life at this monastery. So... um, it's one of those things again. I don't think you have to play Kudelka first. It's just you know more context to a single singular character, and Kudelka doesn't show up in Shadow Hearts two or three, just the first one. Um, so sort of an interesting you know I guess way to take that character and just kind of place her into the other into the into the other game. Um, one thing that's sort of interesting, I won't spoil it, but Shadow or Kudelka has a couple of different endings, just like Shadow Hearts has two different endings. And the final boss of Kudelka is pretty darn tough, like relative to the rest of the game. It's hard. Um, and if you, you don't have to beat the final boss to get an ending, it almost feels like one of those uh, boss battles. You know, a lot of RPGs have this where it's like you don't have to win this battle, but you can if you're really good or grind a lot or whatever. 
Only um, it's the final boss. Yeah, it's, it's just like that, only it's the final boss. And so I lost the first time, because, you know, I'm learning the mechanics and whatnot of the, of the boss. And you get a pretty satisfying ending, to be honest, even when you lose. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of a cool ending. Let me try again and, you know, train up a bit, get some, get some uh, better levels and stats and whatnot. And uh, and then I beat the boss. And then I like, the ending you get when you beat the boss is actually less satisfying. It's like shorter. It's just, it's technically happier, but it's just kind of like, oh, okay. And I actually looked it up. Um, I guess the ending where you lose is technically the canon one, um, which is interesting because that that's actually very apt for Shadow Hearts because technically the the ending to the original Shadow Hearts that is quote canon is the one that is the bad ending. It, it gets a little bit more confusing than that. And I know Chow can explain how as well, but um, it's it, it just felt apt that like this this kind of this quote unquote bad ending is actually the one that canonically happened within the series. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's a game that I think I enjoyed, like, the, like I said, like the tone and the style and the structure of it more so than the actual like game design and like performance of it, because that's a pretty big hurdle to get over. Um, but, you know, I'm glad I played it. Now I'm definitely ready for Penny Blood, which obviously won't be in the same series, but will be, you know, all the similar elements we assume. Um, so, yeah. That was my experience with it, you know, only 15 hours. So, so while you were, while you were talking about it, I was looking up and seeing like, is Shadow Hearts available like on PSN or PSN Plus Premium or whatever they call it now? Apparently, back in May, there was like some trademarks for it. So people thought it might be coming to premium, but I guess nothing has surfaced yet. So I believe the company that owns the Shadow Hearts IP is a pachinko pachinko company right now. Oh, Uh, (laughs) sorry. You sure it's not Konami? No, it's not. But uh, so it's like. Basically, they can't make a new technically Shadow Hearts game because some Pachinko company has the rights to it, I guess. Um, another interesting thing about Kudelka, about its development, was that um, a lot of it was developed in, I believe, like San, uh, San Francisco in terms of the... Uh, it, it got English voices. It actually has a pretty darn decent English dub for a PlayStation 1 game, and it's it's almost fully voiced. Um there actually is no Japanese voice track. It's one of those games that even in Japan, it's got English voices with Japanese subtitles. And it was recorded in, in you know, in, I believe, California. And even a lot of, like, the mocap was done in California. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. It sort of reminds me of, like, the original, like, Resident Evils that also had English voices, only better than that. Um, oh, so it's, it's a PS1 game that uses mocap. That's kind of fun. Yeah. And I, I think I think Vagrant Story did, too. So that, that sorry? comparison. I think Vagrant Story did also use mocap, maybe? I'm trying to remember. I'm not, not sure. But anyways, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, this game is four discs long. Like four discs on PlayStation. Wait, it's, wait, it's, thir- it's like a 13-hour game across four discs. I think the audio is a lot of that. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, That's kind of fun. Yeah, like, it's, it's like, it's it's like this game was dubbed. Like, way yeah. more ambitious than the, like the technology at the time. Technically, fully dubbed, not even correct. Because it's if that's the original voice acting, it's in English. It's not technically a dub. Um, it's obviously ADR, but but yeah, you know, it's it's maybe more of an interesting game than a good one. But you know, now I'm ready. Penny Blood, I guess. So I'll revisit that in three or four years. Well, I mentioned last time when we talked about uh, uh, Penny Blood and the Wild Arms spiritual successor that like I had only played from the New World, the, the, the third Shadow Hearts game mm-hmm. like the black sheep game and like maybe i should Underrated. finally play the other two but like the fact that they're not available on psn in any fashion is just like man like i guess i gotta find a ps2 disc and find a way to play that because because if you go to like ps on on ps3 you can't get those games right 
Not that I even have a PS3. No, it, it's not on that either. Well, maybe eventually PS Plus is premium, whatever we're called. We'll be able to support these things. But, but yeah, uh, obviously that Kickstarter has been successful so far. And I know it's met their minimum goal. I haven't followed up and like it's still got a month to go. So who knows where it's going to end up. But they, they originally were shooting for what, 750000 And they surpassed that in like a day and a half. Uh, so it looks like it's going pretty well. Uh, we'll follow up in you know a few weeks to see where it ends up at. Likely it'll be a long time before we see either of those games. But it sounds like, based on your recommendation and just kind of like the word of mouth in general, that the especially not so much Kodelka, but Shadow Hearts and Shadow Hearts Covenant are called classics that, regardless of whether or not they have a spiritual successor on the way or not, are really great games that should be played. So at one point, I want to make sure I get around to those. Well, thank you for sharing your experience with Kadelka. Sounds like it's a very interesting kind of short experimental game that uh, was ahead of its time in a few ways. The, the next game that we have listed here is something that Chow has listed that he's been playing uh, in between releases this summer. And that is a game called Shining Wind. Now, Chow, you told me that this was a spinoff of the Shining Force series. Is, do I have that right? What is Shining Wind and why have you decided to play it? Okay, so to clarify, uh, it is a direct sequel to Shining Tears. Shining Tears actually came out to the West. So, uh, if anyone plays, so Shining is Tears, this is this related to Shining Force or no? Uh, Shining Tears is kind of like a spinoff. It's kind of like their setting, but it has nothing to do with Shining Force. Uh, okay. Technically, it, it's like just imagine they're in like the same world, so they have like the centaurs, like the like the beastmen, like stuff like that, right? All right, so so Shining F- Wind is the s- sequel to the spinoff. Yes. Shining- that, okay. Okay, so to why I'm playing this game, well, uh, I remember the soundtrack was really good for this game when I played it a long, long time ago, and they made a lot of anime figures of the series, so uh, why not just play the game and finish it? Well, that's kind of like the idea of it. So you um, played it before, but you hadn't finished it? Yeah, I played it before I dropped it. And how do the anime figures factor in? Uh, The anime figures are extremely popular for its time, because probably feel like the designs for its time. Uh, This game is basically anime trope 101. Every anime trope you can think of is thrown into this game. And if you love Japanese voice acting, this is also the peak of this game, because they basically hired the best in the business from the Japanese industry of its time. So this is um, a Japanese-only PS2 game that released in 2007. Do you have any of these figures, Joe? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, I think I have... I'm disappointed. Uh, they are too expensive, or I can't find the right kind. I think the poses do not look right, but they, they're really popular. If this is a 2007 PS2 game, it's probably pretty technically competent. That's late in the gen. Uh, it is confident, technically confident, but it is a very dated-looking game. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Characters uh, appear in an isometric uh, battlefield, and the sprites are pre-rendered 3D, but they don't look that good. <laughs> you know oh. what I'm saying? I just assumed that a late-gen PS2 game would look pretty good. Like, it runs at, like, 60 FPS. It just doesn't look good. Hmm. So, let's see. Uh, where should we start? We should start with the story or the battle hmm. system? It's an action let's RPG, with, right? Let's start with the story, at least like the premise. Like who you like you control a party of characters, I assume. Okay, so like when I say it's anime trope 101, the story begins when you visit Amnesia. No amnesia, no amnesia. No. <laughs> but, 
Okay, but the but the first game had a main character with amnesia, though. Oh, okay. So they they just they couldn't they they would go back to that well if they could, but they had already used it in the first game. So it is. They start to them going to school, and uh, what is it? The main character's childhood friend knows something's awfully wrong with the school, and she's like, uh, "Our one, our classmates are missing. The gates are acting funny. Let's check it out." And apparently, their school got isekai into the other world. Into the Shining Force world, basically. So, so, so that's how it's related to Shining Force is that it's like Shining Force is the Isekai world. So that's basically what happens there, and and how the story goes on is that the main character is a chosen one. He gets to be a soul blader. Uh, oh, this is Sword Art Online before Sword Art Online. So he's a sword blader. So whoever uh, person he becomes really friends of, he can. Uh, was it? He can pull the heart out of the, you know, his partner, and it becomes a sword. So it's that—that's an anime trope right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. that meme where they pull a, a sword out of their heart, and how the story progresses is that the weapons become stronger as the more closer he is with his partners, right? And they're all girls in this game. So uh, we got Horam uh, into this game, and we got every single anime trope that you can think of. We got. We got a girl that is like a thousand year lolly, like stuff like that. Every anime trope you can think so of. So I assume you have like childhood friend and tsundere girl and not every all that. Basically, yes, it's all there. Okay. A school okay. idol, you know, it's it's there. Um, like because how I mentioned is like one of the classmates missing, and that's the school idol, right? You know, she's in the Sekai role before everyone else did, right? So uh, while you're talking about this, I pulled up just some random gameplay footage on YouTube. It reminds me of like the. Uh... 2000s era yeast games in terms of like the the uh, art style of like the, like the sprites that are kind of like uh isometrically placed on <laughs> like the on the background art like only said, like more, more cheap high. looking it's like it's not a really high looking production value game um i think they make a spin-off anime of it as well so you can watch an anime that covers some of the backstory but i never seen the anime so i can't give you a rundown on that is this uh, game worth playing? I think it's worth playing. If you're into like Japanese media, I guess. If you, is if it you just than like, Shining if... Resonance, I, I actually prefer this over Shining Resonance. Actually, I didn't really like Shining Resonance. Is kind of bad. <laughs> um, because the story's a little bit more engaging. Even though I say it's like anime trope 101, uh, there there's more like intriguing plot to it. Like in the beginning, it's basically the main character just wants to go home because he got isekai, right? So he's like, "How do I get home?" And you can't go home. You're the hero. Well, and later on, there's other girls that come into play. There's a kingdom from this other field, and she's basically uh, main character gets involved with her plot because the beastman's trying to assassinate her brother, and now you're trying to find out who's like behind the assassination plot and doing all the poisoning and all this shit, right? Uh, and in that plot is how do I say it? Uh, let's see. He thinks that you know by helping her. Uh, he can find this holy grill, and maybe this will let him return home. That's kind of like that subplot there. Uh, this game has multiple endings because in the game you get to do these bond events later on, and when you raise the character's level to a certain point, uh, their ending will trigger at the end. So there's an ending where they go back home, or they stay there, or you know, there's there's five. Uh, Was it? I think there's ten different endings, but. Uh, 
there is kind of like one ending based on the faction and one ending based on the character. So there's two characters per faction. So, you know, you can there's two endings where he returns home, but the girl that he ends up with is either, you know, the school idol or his childhood friend. So, you know, that's the possibility, right? Makes sense. And yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm watching just some, some more of these just random gameplay footage of this and uh, I don't know who did the art but the art's kind of pretty distinctive uh, it's from Tony Taka um, I think he used to work at SNK back then that's the same artist as Shining Resonance okay uh, Okay, so they've, at least they've got that sort of consistency throughout the years so maybe who knows maybe you could also treat it as a pre, pre uh, this is, like pre, a prequel to Shining Resonance maybe I don't know uh, I don't think it's connected to Shining Resonant in any way, but oh. it has the same art style. So, so if you like schlocky, tropey Japanese games, it sounds like this game has it in spades. But of course, it never was officially released in English. Maybe there's a fan translation out there. You, for, usually for any game from like the PS2 era that was never officially released in English, I assume that there's a fan translation somewhere. I can't vouch for the quality. Well, I, I'm, I'm playing in Japanese because I, I feel like my Japanese has gotten a lot better that I can sort of understand what the characters are saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, went through over it and just playing through it, and basically that that is what it is. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's an English translation of it. Uh, there is a fan base for it though. I'm looking and I can't find anything easily, but I, I'm, there might be something out there. But yeah, no, it's I always enjoy that Chow's just decides to randomly play something because he likes the soundtrack or because there's like neat figures for a game. He's like, you know what, I want to play this. Hey, this is how they got reverse advertising. That's <laughs> how you. Yeah. You like the figures. Maybe I'll check the anime out. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a bit of a weird like starting for a typical episode of our podcast, but I guess some of us are between games between August and September, so need to talk about both Kudelka and Shining Wind. We'll be back maybe to more regular, regularly scheduled stuff next week. Uh, we have a few early September releases that a couple of us are playing through that maybe we can talk about next week. I'm not sure. We'll stay tuned on that. We have a couple features that are up on the site. One of these we'll just brush by really quickly. Both of these are actually written by James, so we'll give him a chance to talk about these if you'd like. Hey, welcome back. So uh, you talked on one of the previous episodes of the podcast about Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak's first title update. So uh, I just wanted to give a shout out here that you did write up your thoughts onto a feature onto RPGsite.net. So I don't think we have to spend any time really going over that because you already had a chance to speak to it. But we have the written version up on the site. Now, here's something that I do kind of want to give you time to talk about uh, because we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week due to all the Gamescom news is that obviously within the past week or so, we had the next update to Final Fantasy XIV, the 6.2 patch, which you don't do this for every patch. But for this one, you specifically wrote a feature up on uh, basically an op-ed. Well, I mean, I did it for 6.1, too. Ah, okay, so maybe we're in a rhythm now. Uh, but basically, uh, 6.2, you say that as someone who has, in the last couple months, gotten really involved in like the, the end game uh, rating scene, you say that 6.2 is basically a patch that you've really enjoyed. Uh, the actual name of your feature is, it's been the best patch to be a raider. So basically, yeah. I want to give you a chance to talk about 6.2 here, about your uh, feature that you wrote, and Chow can chime in as well about his uh, experience with 6.2 and kind of what you thought about the most recent update to Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, I'm sure that Chow can agree with my uh, thesis here, because basically the whole thing is that outside of expansion launches, whenever a uh, 
whenever a new raid tier comes out in the past, it's just been that the normal modes and the savages come out the same day as the patch. Uh, but the dev team for 6.2 decided to do something different and they delayed the savage um, launch by a week, which meant that anyone that was going to be doing those uh, savage fights day one they still had time to like go through the story at their own pace, try out the other content that's been added with the patch. And while there still is like prep that's required for uh, getting ready for the raids, it's like much less of a time crunch and you don't have to worry about missing out on things if you want to uh, be able to comfortably raid on day one. So basically you're saying before when they launch on the same day, people would feel incentivized just to go immediately into the Savage raid and not get to enjoy just the other stuff of the patch? Yep. Is it, is it Savage or Extreme? Sorry. Savage. Okay. So so did this come out then like a week after the the full 6.2 launch? So it was 6.2 kind of yep. in two parts? Uh, Yeah. It wasn't actually a separate patch release, though there was some maintenance where people think they might have done some last-minute changes to the last fight's uh, DPS check. But uh, yeah, just week after the patch drops, the uh, savage fights became available. Are you still working on those, or how? Like, I don't know, like the typical time oh, scale yeah, I'm about still like working on them. I'm like, still working on them. What's the usual time scale for like uh, a good, just a, just a generally good group to like clear those? Does it take like a week, two weeks, four weeks? I I just really don't know. I'd say around a month, give or take. Unless you're specifically a week one static, which those do exist, but that's, I'd say most groups, most mid-core groups, you're looking at about a month to clear all the fights. And I'm not sure if Chow would agree, but. Did you have any other like thoughts or opinions on like 6.2 besides the, uh, on the, like you, you had mentioned, like when we talked about the live letter about some of the other features that were coming with a patch. I don't know if you, since you had a week before the Savage tier came out to just do the other stuff of the patch. I don't know if any of the other, like the Island Sanctuary or any of that other mechanics yeah. ended up landing for you strongly or not really. Island Sanctuary is really cool. Um, it's fairly bare bones at the moment, but uh, it'll. they've already said it's going to be added to with each patch. And it's a lot of fun now, even if it is pretty basic. Um, Remind me what that is again exactly. So to yeah, I was talking to Tony, and Tony said Island Sanctuary is basically Animal Crossing. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say it's basically Animal Crossing. You, it, uh, are they actually like? Yeah, go ahead. You have your own island. It's the same for everyone. There's uh, nodes where material can spawn. You gather materials to uh, create uh, tools and uh, feed for animals that you capture, and also to build new facilities and. As you raise your sanctuary rank, you also get access to new things that you can build and whatnot. It's it's fairly basic. It's like even more basic than Animal Crossing. Um, but uh, it's also like the first the first uh, content drop for it. So it there's plenty there already. Like um, people that have been doing nothing but Island Sanctuary got it done in about like 20, 30 hours, which in the grand scheme of things, isn't that bad? Because like the intended use of the of the uh, content is something to do in between like queues. If you're like a DPS, or if you want to have somewhere to hang out when you're not 
when, when you don't have like a house of your own and stuff like that. Well, in general, as someone who doesn't play Final Fantasy XIV, it does just seem kind of like a, a low energy, low stress, just kind of way to hang out and progress the game in a different fashion. And it is kind of nice. Like you said, it's the first, like they could iterate on it. And so like with 6.2, they introduce the idea and then they can build off of it. And now they can just kind of have that as another another way to just kind of add on to the game with regular patches where they add different features specifically to that game mechanic, which is kind of nice. Yep. Meanwhile, there was also um, the new story content. Obviously, uh, a lot of people have been enjoying it. I think that the dungeon itself was maybe a little bit weak, but it was still fine. And the uh, trial especially is really, really good. Like, I heard Chow, I believe, I believe I saw him say in chat that he had like finished the story and like he was like finished it in three hours ripped. Like, it, was it a little bit shorter than normal? I'm not sure if it's really shorter than normal, but it had a, a dungeon and had a trial. The new extreme version of the trial is really, really good. Like, it feels like most people um, that engage with that content kind of agree that the new extreme trial is like one of the best that the dev team has ever done. Oh, that's pretty, okay, I'm going to show my ignorance here. Uh, you were fighting, uh, you're fighting the fiends from Final Fantasy IV. Is that part of the trial, or is that something else? Uh, yes. So okay. usually the way things work with 14 is that with each expansion, they'll have an additional series of trial fights that you can engage with. Um, at, um after the main scenario and they're added to the game via patches uh previous patches have had both the trial series and then they'd have the capstone fight at the point three patch since Endwalker's story ended with the point oh patch what they've instead done is they basically started integrating what would have been a trial series into the main scenario so we so we got our first new trial of the expansion post-launch support with 6.2 and instead of it being optional it's just part of the main uh, main scenario and you fight uh one of the four fiends that way okay so does that mean like we're going to fight all four because like the one of them was also like a dungeon boss so it's probably gonna be yeah so probably what's gonna happen is three of the four fiends are probably gonna be trials and then the final one's probably gonna be golbez so that would make sense, but uh, yeah. And would um, would that not would that not be in a trial or like what do you think Golbez would be part of? Golbez will definitely be a trial. I Golbez. think he'll oh, be okay. the six point three final boss. That's what. Nah, I was gonna. Uh, I don't think they're gonna do that because they specifically said that we won't know what seven point will be until like six point five. So it seems like the six point X patch series is kind of gonna be its own story. So I think it, it they're not gonna finish it until like 6.5 like they probably could like if they wanted to rush it finish it with 6.3 but i don't think they're going that route it seems like it's more of a bridging story between six and seven go ahead chow oh i was gonna say like the point three patches it always has like the the post-game final boss like yeah and i was just mentioning that and walker was different because they deliberately said before launch that the final boss for the story of n walker was the 6.01 it's a bit different. Well, for those that are currently playing or have lapsed on Final Fantasy 14, we do have James's feature up on the site for 6.2 and for 6.1. So go ahead and give those a read, as well as the Monster Hunter Rise uh, first title update feature. Both of those are up on the site. 
And now we're going to go into the news section. Now, a lot of this is mostly just looking forward to Tokyo Game Show. Uh, so if you want to hear about everything that came out of Gamescom, listen to last week's episode of the podcast, because there was a lot. And again, I said this last week, but I'll say it again this week. Thanks so much, uh, James, Josh, and Adam, and Kite for keeping up on all that news, because there was a ton. Uh, but as we go into Tokyo Game Show, it sounds like it's going to be, you know, second first, same as the first for that. Obviously, we have a huge presence there. Specifically? It's like September 15th, 15th through 18th. 18th. So yeah, like two weeks from now. now. Yeah. Yeah. In two weeks from now, we'll be, we record this podcast on Saturdays. Uh, So we'll be recording it on the 17th. So we'll record it like in the middle of Tokyo game show, but after the first few days, so hopefully like any major announcements will be, um, will have happened by then, but who knows for certain. Uh, But a lot of publishers have started to detail uh, what games are going to have, you know, in their theaters or have live streams or have playable demos. Um, So Kite Steinbuck has done a great job covering both like anything that we would consider in our RPG site's purview, as well as anything out of Square Enix, who always has a pretty pretty big presence at Tokyo Game Show. So we have a list up on the site for any RPG-related live streams for people who that decide to like stay up in the middle of the night or whatever weird hours these end up being in the West uh, to watch these. Um, Bandai Namco is going to be showing a few games. Some of, They have some stream time dedicated to older games like Dragon Ball Z Kakarot and um, Sword Art Online Alicization, which I guess is coming to Switch soon. So they probably are just taking the chance to market there. But they're also going to be showing that One Piece game, One Piece Odyssey, which we haven't really heard a bunch about since its initial reveal. So it'd be cool. We'll have a, hopefully our first real uh, One Piece play. was at it was at a Gamescom. I think it was at a PAX. Oh, was it? Uh, so like, there's been like playable like demos out that people have played. Um, now I think people are just kind of waiting for a release date on that because it doesn't have right. one yet. It's supposed to be this year. Yeah, so maybe we'll get that out of a uh, Tokyo Game Show. Uh, maybe is- maybe Dragon Ball Z Kakarot will get more DLC. I know they just announced DLC for Xenoverse Two. Like that well, Xenoverse game Two is like that, yeah, <laughs> Xenoverse Two is that game that just never dies. Like whenever there's yeah, a new it was movie like the, it was like the new movie, yeah, um, the yeah. online movie or whatever. So hey, but I could see Kakarot getting more DLC. They added the uh, when it released on Switch, they had a new one. So who knows. Uh, so Capcom will be there, and they'll be sh- they'll be showing off uh, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. Obviously, that's still going through its title updates. Uh, the Mega Man Battle Network compilation uh, they'll be showing off there, and they- they'll, uh, they'll be. Bandai Namco also has a Tales of. Event oh yeah, time. they do. And I, this is pure speculation. I'm going to guess if they announce anything, it's going to be another remaster, like in the Vesperia vein. I, I I feel like it's been Rise was only a year ago, and he's the producer. Uh, Tomizawa, I believe, said that he was sort of he knew that people are clamoring for remasters of Abyss, Graces, Jillia, whatever. So that's my guess. So which remaster would you want to see? Graces? <laughs> That'd be for a good sure. one, I think. I've never like the, I took a gap, like a break from Tales. Like I was pretty up and on it, like through the PS2 era, but then in the PS3 era I kind of fell off. So I never played the two Jilla games. I played Zestiria and Bazaria. So like the Zilla games, if those were like paired and remastered, I would play those, but they're probably less needing of a remaster than some of the older ones. Oh, yeah. Like I said, so Capcom is going through Monster Hunter Rise, Sunbreak, and Mega Man Battle Network. They'll also be showing some other games, uh, but Kite specifically try to target things that are in our purview. Like they'll probably be showing like Resident Evil Village VR or whatever it is. Um, probably get information for the next title update because it's uh, coming out this month for uh, Sunbreak. Mm hmm. 
505 Games will be showing Hayden Chronicles 100 Heroes. Obviously, we finally just like a week or two ago got footage on that for the first time since its announcement. So that's kind of cool that they're ramping up the marketing on that, which makes sense because we're in the back half of the year and it's slated to come out next year. Uh, Koei Tecmo, we talked about this kind of briefly, I think two podcasts ago or maybe last podcast. They'll be showing the new Gust game, which we haven't detailed what it is yet, um, as well as the uh, the Neo team's new title, uh, Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Sega Atlas has announced that they're going to be talking mostly about their upcoming new ports for the Persona series. Like obviously Persona 5 Royal uh, in October. Is it the 21st? I forget what the date was. Uh, coming to PC. And then we also have the remasters for... Uh, well, not remasters. Just, I guess, like up ports for Persona 4 Golden and Persona 3 Portable to modern consoles and PC next year. So maybe we'll get some dates for 3 and 4. Hoyoverse, they'll be there. You know, formerly known as MiHoYo. Uh, obviously, the regular updates on Genshin Impact. And obviously, they've got two titles in development that we're interested in. That's Honkai Star Rail and Zenless Zone Zero. So there'll be updates on those games. I think both of those games have had like multiple kind of closed betas. So there's already like decent amounts of gameplay footage captured on these. So I don't know if there'll be uh, more release details or things like that. Uh, level 5 will be showing off like a free-to-play follow-up to Megaton Musashi, which is that mech game that never came out. It came out last year in Japan, I believe, but never had an official English <laughs> uh, announcement. Will any, will any level 5 game ever get an English release again? S- seemingly not. The last, few, the last few I've seen have seemingly been footed by like Nintendo. That's like Yokai Watch 3 and uh, Snack World. But we never got Yokai Watch 4 on either platform. And yeah, it's like right now it seems like unlikely. That's I remember like a year ago, there was this rumor from that was posted on 4chan of all places about what happened with Level 5 Abbey. And um, obviously, not just a pinch like the entire salt shaker. But um, from what I've heard from people that would know about the situation with Abby, like the stuff that was posted on 4chan was pretty accurate. So basically I, what I'm saying is I would not be shocked if all that stuff that was talked about there was like completely true, which is kind of crazy to think about. And then I think the last publisher that I've yet to mention is Square Enix. They recently have detailed... Uh, they published their own TGS webpage, just shows off all the games they're talking about. And it's a pretty long list. I don't know if I just read all the way through this. Like, Forspoken is a release for next year. Obviously, they're going to be taking time to market that. It recently just had its pretty long, like, gameplay features overview trailer. Valkyrie Elysium, obviously, that's releasing right around the same time as Tokyo Game Show. So they're just going to take the take the stage time to market that game. Uh, Star Ocean 6, The Divine Force, also coming up pretty soon. Romancing Saga Minstrel Song Remastered. Adam's looking forward to this. We don't have a true release date on that yet. So maybe that's that was actually we'll interesting there. because apparently that's actually playable at TGS. Oh, okay. Like, it's kind of even though it doesn't have a date, like okay. I mean, obviously it's just a remaster, but uh, Voice of Cards: The Beast of Burden. We haven't talked about this yet, but they have announced a third game in that series, surprisingly, uh, and they're going to take the time to talk about that. And that game is out like in a week from now, so it'll be out by the time during Tokyo Game Show. But again, they're going to be just giving taking the time to market it while they have the stage. Harvestella, Tactics Ogre Reborn, Final Fantasy fourteen, sixteen. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, so 16 and 7 Rebirth, it sounds like that they don't obviously have playable demos of those, but they'll have um, trailers at their mega theater. So we might get new trailers for 16 and or Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Uh, Crisis Core Reunion, which is obviously coming out later this year. Or is it later this year or just winter? This winter, which could be like winter. December, January, February, or even yeah. March. 
So we might get some of that. Mm-hmm. Stranger Paradise will have a presence at their thing again. So I don't know if that'll be another DLC. Um, I do like, though, as you go through the list, their mobile games like Brave XPS and War of the Visions, Romancing Saga Reuniverse, and then at the very end, Power Wash Simulator. Hell so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, that know. game has done really well for them, probably. <laughs> Breaking out of their usual audience. I mean, but, it costs you a te- a $5 to play in real life. But yeah, so obviously uh, Square Enix has a ton of different titles to show in some respect or another. Like Some of them are playable, some of them will just be trailers, and we'll try to keep up on all of those as they release, and whatever comes out we'll make sure to report on. But yeah, uh, a lot of those will just have segments in their theater for just trailer times and kite has done a pretty good job of detailing what is exactly shown at which date at which time uh i'm probably i'm the sort of person i'll just i won't catch it live i'll just catch it after the fact but yeah pretty much you could you could spend all weekend just watching square enix streams and trailers if you wanted because they've got it packed for the whole four days thursday through sunday and i guess for tokyo game show that's kind of a preview of what to look forward to but since there's really no news yeah that's kind of everything we've got from there i'm hoping that we get more details on ever crisis but i don't know like how much we will be expecting from that is that not on their list come out this year right it 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 is on their list uh it it was supposed to come out this year i don't know if they've really said anything since last year on it though yeah i'm i'm trying to say well, yeah, we have Tokyo really game shows. Tokyo, Tokyo game shows where we would get more info on it. So look forward to it. I guess it will be launching in closed beta, so they might uh, they might give us a closed beta um, window for it. I don't know if I'm, I'm I'm interested in the game, but I don't know if I'm that interested to get into like a beta. But maybe, of course, I don't know like how much Gotcha is gonna poison what that game is. But meh, we'll see. As for other news, uh, I guess we'll just go into this one because I'd already mentioned it. So uh, Square Enix just announced this last week that they are making a third game in this Voice of Cards series, Voice of Cards, The Beasts of Burden. Uh, It is set to release digitally on PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, and PC on September 13th. So the other two games were recently released and like in pretty quick succession. That is The Isle Dragon Roars and The Forsaken Maiden. Um... And Adam, I think you're the only person that has played both those games. You might be you might be the only person that's played any of them. So as someone who has managed to keep up with the rapid release pace of Voice of Cards, do you have more interest in continuing the series? Or like how do you feel about all of a sudden a new game in September, uh, just out of nowhere? It's I'm not exactly sure. So I mean the games are pretty short. They're like 10 hours or whatever. I mean, relative to RPGs, of course. And the first two games were obviously very similar, but there were a few key differences, I think, that gave them each their own flavor. I personally liked The Forsaken Maiden more. It was just, there was a little bit more teeth to it, there's a little bit more interesting mechanics. I thought the story was more interesting, personally. Like, Beast of Burden, I'll be like, you know, I'll play it, because it's not a big time commitment, but it's not like I was clamoring for more, you know? It just uh, I guess this one, the gimmick for this one that sets it apart is that you're supposed to, supposedly you can capture enemies and use them as like skill cards. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, sure. We'll see if that's interesting on paper. I don't know, but you know, it comes out in like a week already, or maybe a little bit more than a week, ten days. So yeah, I'll, I'll play it. I just I'm a little bit, I guess, confused about like the strategy here. Just release two why, games a year. <laughs> why? Why is like Square Enix releasing like? six or seven games within like 
a two month span. Like, no, no, like they're releasing like five games in September alone or some shit. Let's see. They have uh, Dio Field. They have this Voice of Cards now, I guess. They have Valkyrie. They have Star Ocean. They have Harvestella. That's five. They have uh, Tactics Ogre. That's six. They have, I mean, we don't know when it is, but there's Crisis Core. We have, they have Minstrel Song. That's eight. Uh, is there anything else I missed in this year? Uh, let me look at the review sheet. There <laughs> might be something there. Um, I guess technically. Oh, then Forspoken is shortly after that. That's nine. Uh, technically, Front Mission. Uh, oh, yeah. Front remake. Mission. There's also Dragon Quest Ten offline, although that's not Dragon Quest West, Treasures. Dragon Treasures. That's like 11. And we, I haven't even counted like Final Fantasy 16 or 7. You're Tom to Switch, but, oh, yeah, which I guess Tomata. that's just the port, but still. It's like. <laughs> We're up to a dozen games. Like, like, why? It's like, I don't know. And the worst part is, is that a lot of these look really cool. Like, I want to play Harvestella. I want to, like, I wasn't super interested in Deal Field, but from what I've heard of, like, impressions, like, yeah, I want to play that. It's like, why are you releasing everything within the span of two months? I will say I, I put some time and like I mentioned, I put some time in the deal field demo and I'm really gelling with it. I don't know. I played Triangle Strategy, which was another game that they published that was released this year. Um, and it's it's I don't want to compare a demo to a full release, but like I feel like I'm gelling with deal field more just the, like the real time with pause aspect of it. I don't know. I'm really looking forward to that one uh, in later September. But yeah, Square Enix, uh, they're probably going to have a huge presence like on our final game of the year list just because. They're like, here's 14 games to consider. Please. You know. They're just they're just they're just going with the volume method. Just release everything and something will stick, I guess. Honestly, it's nice to see the uh double A uh games uh, well, like double A games kind of make a comeback here, even if it's all seemingly from one company. Yeah. Well, uh Adam, you're not obligated, but if you would like to play Voice of Cards of Visa Burden report back, you may. Um, well, Paige actually reviewed the first two. Oh, okay. Um, maybe maybe we'll get. I don't know if she'll review the third one, or maybe we need. To, I, don't, I don't know if we want to get a new, fresh perspective on the third review, or just have Paige review it again if she wants. I'm not sure. Do we think we'll finally get like a physical copy of uh, of these games once the third's out? Do you think we'll, like like, just have like a collection? Maybe yeah. it'll, it'll be like, Asia only for Switch. Yeah, they've done that a few times. Um, a couple other small pieces of news. Uh, this one kind of was just right at the tail end of Gamescom. We got a new trailer for Flintlock The Siege of Dawn. It's like a five-minute gameplay overview trailer, and this is uh, an action RPG slated for next year. Uh, we did get a small new piece of news for the upcoming Pokemon game, Scarlet and Violet. They released, uh, revealed a new Pokemon, which is like a poison monkey named... I have no idea how to pronounce it. Grafaye? The thing, Maybe the I monkey, should... like if you look at the screenshot, there's like some rainbowy trees behind it. So I wonder if it's supposed to be like graffiti monkey. Graf- yeah, it is because oh. like if you look at it, it's like uh, index fingers. It's secretes like a very like neon like colorful like poison that it uses to mark its territory. Oh. I'm gonna check Serebi. What's the Japanese name? Because that might help with pronunciation if it's the same. One second. I like how we just totally skipped over the Flintlock game. We got more gameplay. It's from Asia. Oh it's no, the dollars fashion. Uh, <laughs> this Japanese name for Grafai is so dumb. Oh my god! I guarantee you're not going to guess what the Japanese name is. Okay. Uh, the Japanese name for Grafai is Tagging-o. Tagging-o? Is what? Yeah, like tagging le. It's like 
What? Oh, okay. What does that mean? Tagging as in like gang tags, gang signs. Okay. Oh. That's definitely graffiti based. Yeah, well, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet have, if I remember right, a still compared relative to like we're only a couple months away from release, a pretty small new roster of Pokemon. So I wonder if we're going to get a lot of these like 40 second trailers that just show, yeah, like a week um, ago, they introduced like the it's like a snake bicycle thing. Yeah, Cyclizar. And now we got yeah. Fi. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get like one a week now until uh, release or something like that. We still haven't seen the um, evolutions, right? For the starters. I know, I know that these games leak a lot, so they might be leaked somewhere. But there's also a bunch of, there's probably a bunch of fake leaks, so nothing yeah. official, I think. Uh, all the remaining news on the docket this week is mostly like release date updates and a couple sales, or one sales update. So I guess we'll just kind of go through these. Um, speaking about Square Enix published titles, uh, Live Alive on Nintendo Switch has sold half a million units, which I think for a Nintendo Switch exclusive remake of an of a you know twenty year old game, that seems pretty good. And yeah, Live Alive, that's, that's better than I expected, especially just in a month. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty darn good. And Live Alive is I still one need of those to games. Get back to finishing it. Uh, that it doesn't take long. That I I feel like this one could do pretty well at the our end of the year listing because I don't know I, I it left a pretty good impression on me. I I enjoyed that more than I thought I would going in. But yeah, Live Alive sold half a million units on Switch alone. Uh, we'll see if it ends up like other. HD 2D titles making its way to other platforms in any way, but uh, I don't think anything's been announced or even really strongly rumored, so we'll see. Uh, let's see. Trinity Trigger. We talked about this game when it was first announced uh, earlier this year for Japan audiences from Furio. Uh, it's releasing in Japan, like right around Tokyo Game Show. I don't think, Adam, correct me if I'm wrong, that it had an official Western announcement until now. So Exceed and uh, Exceed and Marvelous, who always like pair up on these to release in North America and Europe, have announced that Trinity Trigger will release in early 2023 for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Switch. Uh, for the West, and alongside that, uh, they gave a new announcement trailer of the game to go to coincide with the with the Western localization announcement. Whenever yeah, I see so this, this game, is like an action RPG that kind of looks like a little bit like Secret of Mana or the original Trials of Mana in terms of being like top down action. You get different weapons, like your your triggers become your weapons. There's three different characters. I know Josh was saying when he played the demo, you can like combo your your attacks in certain ways. Um, so yeah, you know, um, it's being developed not by Furu, but by a company, like a de- developer known as Three Rings. I remember looking up what they did before and it's not a lot. Um, so we'll see. Um, but yep, next year for consoles. This is a no little, PC this release. Is, this is a little bit shallow. Whenever I see this game, uh, I'm like, oh, I forgot what this was. Oh, it's that game. And there's like a, there's like an incongruence between like the 2D art and like the in the in game graphics that kind of like is unnerving to me, and like they, they the the part of the trailer includes like some anime styled cutscenes plus obviously like the art on the box art and I don't want to be like shallow but it just seems like there's a really it's this this game out of compared to most has a higher discrepancy <laughs> between like the two art styles that I it think, almost like so what's what's sort of funny is I think that that catches some people off guard frequently. Because they really love like the concept art, the two D art, but then when they actually see what it looks like in game, it's like, oh, this does not look good. Um, oddly enough, I, the last game that, that comes or the a game that comes to mind for that is Monarch, which was also released by Furyu. Uh, it's a different developer. That's Landcars. Um, that was uh, released earlier this year. Like the two D art, like the character art, is great. Portrait art, 
But that, uh, even Scott mentioned in his review, like when you actually look at like how the game actually looks when you're actually playing it, it's like, oh, this does not look good. <laughs> Whoops. And, like, and literally, like, literally the 2D art and like any sort of animated opening is like it's pretty much just marketing. This isn't what and, the game looks like. Well, I mean, like even here, they are marketing it with plenty of gameplay. So I'm not I'm not insinuating that like they're hiding what it actually looks like. It's just that there doesn't seem to be a lot of congruence between what the 2D art and the in-game style looks like. It's just like, oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, I see. Um, But it looks... It, 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 I don't know. It looks like it could be like charming, at least. But I don't know. I think I just have to see more to see... Because uh, a lot of things that they've shown are pretty just like typical. Like, there's multiple weapons to choose from and skill combos and things like that. Uh, is this multiplayer or not? I'm trying to remember. Like, can you play... Like, I know it has three the three characters... Uh, it, it has three-player local multiplayer, but not online. Oh, okay. Well, maybe this will be fun in three-player, but the, it's kind of one of those things where, like, whenever a game doesn't have local multiplayer, I'm like, oh, that stinks. Or when it doesn't have online multiplayer, like, oh, that stinks. Like, why can't... That's weird that it doesn't have online multiplayer. But yeah, it'll be our sometime next year for Trinity Trigger. And I guess we'll obviously, since it comes out in just a couple of weeks in Japan, we'll pretty much know, like, the reception to the game well before it releases in the West. But uh, we'll see. Maybe it'll be a surprise hit. A couple other release dates to go on. Uh, this one's not for a game, but for a game-inspired anime. Uh, this is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. I don't know if there's really like any hype for this. This is an anime uh, based on the Cyberpunk 2077 universe, and I don't—I forget who is. I guess Studio Trigger. Trigger. And then the Trigger has some of their biggest names on it, like Yoshinari for art and Imashi for director. So it's like. At least from a production value standpoint, it could be pretty good. Obviously, the the I should mention that the story is being written not by Trigger but by CD Projekt and you know others. So well, I have no idea how the story will pan out. I think that's but, a good thing because Trigger can't seem to write. So. Oh really? But uh, it's got you know like the high end or the big name Trigger people on it. So at least from an animation standpoint, it might be interesting. Uh, I guess this is also worth mentioning that. Cyberpunk, or I guess CD Projekt, is doing a stream for Cyberpunk next week to basically, they haven't said exactly what it's for, but it's probably for DLC, because they or an expansion of some sort. We knew they were working on one. That is on Tuesday. They just say it's a special episode of Night City Wire. We'll talk about Cyberpunk Edgerunners as well as what's next for Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I'm actually, I haven't played the game. I'm interested in trying it out. You know, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, anyways, I'm hopeful. That after, you know, a year and a half or two years of patches that it's at least decent now. That's my hope. Um, so you played it, right? Uh, yeah. But I mean, I, I, and I know I, I kind of have a grasp of like certain things it does well and certain things it may not do so, so well. Um, so I think I'll go in with, with, with balanced expectations. I, I still want to do that eventually. And when I watch this, like, so these are going to be 10 episodes that are all dropping on Netflix at once. Um, yeah. So it'll be it'll be a binge watch for anyone that's interested. But like this trailer was this, a not safe for work trailer. So it's kind of over, you know, but like that's the, not same thing, that's the same thing that they kind of did with like, the game itself, where it, it almost like I feel like it's almost too on the nose where it's like, yeah, this game's mature. Have we, have yeah. we let you know that this game's mature yet? Yeah, we're a mature game. We're totally mature. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Even racism. It, Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what does this game have going for it? Like, I'd, I'd rather just let it speak for itself that it has mature themes rather than say like, ooh, this is a not safe for work trailer. Make rather sure than, rather than it being like literally an advertising bullet point. Like, we are mature. Okay. Yeah. Sounds uh, like we're trying too hard. Yeah, I am. 
I kind of want to like, so I, I played through cyberpunk. Like I had a pre-release copy. I didn't end up reviewing it for the site. Um, Alex did, but I haven't played it since. So I played it like version 1.0, like not even after like day one patch. So I'm curious to be like, all right, after two weeks of patches, does it feel or two weeks, two years of patches? Does it feel any better? But I don't know if you're if you're an anime fan, if you're somehow in the slice between anime fan and cyberpunk fan, uh, there's a 10 episode anime dropping in about a week uh, that you can watch on Netflix. Uh, we have another indie game. September seems like it's full of indie games and it's hard to I want to give them all their due, but there's just so many that it's hard to. Uh, right. But but we have the outbound ghost is set to release on PC on September 21st. And this one is really charming. It is basically another Paper Mario like. So similar to like Bug Fables or a few of the other Paper Mario likes. And, and I Bug think Fables is great. So yeah, Bug Fables is great. And I'm pretty interested in the Outbound Ghost because uh, I don't know. I just really like that style of game. And it has, we got a new trailer uh, alongside the release date announcement. So it's kind of later in September, around the same time that like Trails from Zero and Dio Field and all those other ones start dropping. So I don't know if it'll squeeze in, but usually these types of games aren't too long. Um, I think so. I think this game used to have or had at one point a limited demo during one of the summer festivals. I don't think it has a live demo on Steam right now, but yeah, it's coming out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, the Outbound Ghost, Paper Mario like, and it's if I make time for one more indie game this year, it'll probably be this one. Uh, we have a couple other indie games that have release dates later in the year. Um, one of the dungeon crawling games that we talked about at least on one earlier episode of the podcast, I think this came out around E3 Summer Fest Games Fest time. Uh, Beneath Oresia, Oressa, Beneath Oressa is going into early access on October 12th. And as typical for early access games, uh, I have no idea how long it plans to stay there, but uh, we'll kind of keep tabs on it. And when it does come out of early access, we'll probably follow up. But going into early access in October, if anyone has been keeping their eyes out on that game. I'll, I'll admit, when I saw this, it's like a, a roguelike deck builder dungeon crawler. It's just like, this This feels like a procedurally generated title or genre. There's just so, there's so many of those. Mm. But and, and also early access, it's like, well, I'll check back in yeah. a year and a half when it gets to 1.0 and see like if it's progressed since then. Uh, here's one that I'm actually also pretty interested in. Uh, Lost Idolans, this is the like Western high fantasy Fire Emblem like, uh, is going to launch on PC on October 13th, and it will be also launching on Xbox next year. So this game also had, I think, uh, a Summer Games Fest demo at some point. I I hope I don't have that wrong, but it's been kind of in like this uh, not quite early access mode for a while, but it's getting its full release in October. I think it looks pretty interesting. We got a new trailer alongside the release date announcement of that as well. And then this isn't a release date, but more of an ending date. We already talked about how Dragalia Lost is shutting down uh, after being out for, I think, like four years total, five yeah, years total. Four years. Four years. Uh, it is. It will be shutting down on November 30th. If you're catching up on Dragalia Lost, that's I, I remember we went through all the details, like all the shutdown, like where all the events are available for people to catch up on and at least enjoy the game while it uh, well, it's in its, you know, limelight here, but it's sad you to end up not good game go, but yeah. Did you ever put uh, a lot of time into Dragalia Lost Chow or no? Uh, there was a period I did. Um the game the gameplay got really toxic of one one of the versions because they really poorly balanced one certain element and because of that they decided to uh over buff them and when they over buffed them it became this 
kind of like this meta where if you don't have this character, don't play, or they just kick you out of the room. So it's like a very mm-hmm. toxic meta. And yeah, and there's a lot of bad decisions from the game directors and stuff, and it was just like a downhill battle. And they tried everything they can to like recover the game, but it never got it never got there. Looking at uh, more closely at the press release, it looks like that Dragali Lost already has had all of its characters and story added. So basically, it's content complete completely uh, up until November 30th. They've already disabled real money purchases for the in-game currency. They will also gradually disable more features by removing purchases of like upgrades and things like that. So they're they're basically phasing it out in stages uh, ahead of November 30th. But uh, if you were ever at one point a player of Dragalia Lost it seems like all of its story and characters have all been added so you're free to enjoy those uh, up until November 30th. I mean there were some other signs that you might expect the game to close down because like one of the versions they said that oh uh, from now on these characters are not part of the story and they will not feature completely full voice acting. So that's for the Japanese version you know because usually in the Japanese version everything's fully voiced right? So you know People can kind of see the signs coming back in the day, but they keep saying, "We'll assure you that you know, it, it's like not nothing too major is happening." And there we go. Well, I know that was a little bit of a, a shorter podcast, but that's basically everything I had listed for this week. Um, I don't know. Tried the uh, was I was gonna say? Has anyone heard about Nisa removing the zero front uh, translation overlay? Uh, I, I had heard from like through the grapevine a little bit there. I guess if you know the details, just go ahead and share. This, this, this is the spreadsheet translation of Kuro 2 or Kuro 1. Yeah. Oh, uh, zero well, field. not out yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, zero one. field, not uh, zero front, just to be clear. Oh, I was going to say zero. Did I say zero front? I, I said mm-hmm. zero, rip. I was trying to say zero field. Zero field chronicles. Uh, but yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so this basically confirms that Nisa has the rights to Kuro, basically, right? I mean, you would tell yeah. someone to shut down, you know, spreadsheet translation overlays. Yeah, it's 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 a rough situation because I've seen plenty of people where it's like, yeah, they're within their legal rights to do this, and I, I think the best way to put it is the tweets I put out the other day where I just said, um, okay. Look, I'm just going to say it. Calling folks impatient over trails might be true, but what's also true is even Utuaru Mono is getting day-and-date localizations, while Falcom is the only company where their games are delayed by three years for localization. I, I have a question. So, like, the Korean and Chinese versions of Kuro 2 are coming out not day-and-date, but, like, a month later, like October, right? It's clear that So that they Falcom, do they get access to the scripts before it releases, I assume? Like, there's no they way must they could be. Yeah, they so. must be. Um, but it sounds like... Um, it seems like Nisa's either not getting them early or because of like release cadence or just uh, staggering things anyways. But yeah, it's, so, it's like, I, I like everyone's saying, Oh, people are being like impatient. It's like, while you're true, <laughs> while that's true, three years is still really fucked. Up. I mean, even stuff like we're talking about like Trinity trigger is going to come out next year. So it's not like day and date. Obviously it's not a big well, franchise, but you know, and it's not a big game, but still specifically for the trail series next year nice america is releasing both azure and hajimari right reverie and nayuda and nayuda so like like my devil's advocate is that i remember adam on a previous episode do you want to release them like four games in one year like let's add kuro as well <laughs> like hmm. like the fastest they could get through uh, would be 2024 
and maybe 2025 for Cruel 2 at the fastest. In my I, I just think I'm hoping that, you know, after we get past this sort of backlog of the Crossbell games, that it can speed up. But, and I've said this before, like, let's just say they announce an East game, have someone else do it. Don't, oh, have, that, don't, that put, up, don't was... put more in NAS America's plate. I would we're, say we're... that the best case scenario would be if Kuro's early 2024 and then Kuro 2 is late 2024. Yeah, it's, it almost seems kind of rushed that way, but that's like the only way they could do it to ever get caught they're up. They're going to have to, if you want to catch up to some to a, to a developer that's releasing a game every year, you're going to have to have more than a game a year. <laughs> you know, yep. for a while. So. No, but oh, I was going to say, is that remind me? I remember a few weeks ago we talked about uh, when we were expecting to hear about East 10. Was that Tokyo Game Show? Uh, no, usually Falcom announces their games at their uh, shareholder meeting in December. That's usually when they announce it. Oh, uh, okay. Because East 10, we've gotten a few snippets from uh, Famitsu interviews. They're like, uh, how about they're trying to change the formula up because they've been in the same one for the last few games? So I was just thinking about Tokyo Game Show and East 10 when we're expecting to see more on that. The real nightmare might be if um, we get both East 10 and Kuro 3 in Japan next year, because Falcom <laughs> said that they're trying to release multiple games a year, and East 10 has been in development by basically a separate team within Falcom for ever since East 9. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> obviously, whatever Kuro 3 is going to have, like, it's going to uh, share the vast majority of assets with Kuro 1 and 2. So, like, As for NIS America shutting down the spreadsheet, which is effectively a fan translation, I know it's this technically not because you patch it in yourself or whatever but but can you uh, really I, I feel like one? I feel like if you really wanted to get this you there's still places to find it mm -hmm. you know all it so does is just harms goodwill it, and mm -hmm. keep in mind and this is something people are talking about they did this the same day that the uh that they charged for the zero limited edition a game that they bought the fan translation for from Geofront. Did, did Exceed ever? I feel like no one cared about it back then. But did Exceed ever shut down the fan translations for East Origin or or Xanadu Next? Because they nope. licensed those, and like those official releases are based on fan translations. Yeah. I, I don't know if people remember that. They never. I feel like sorry. I feel like I should stress at this point. Um, uh, just a reminder for folks: we do have people in RPG site staff who were involved with Geofront. Uh, Chow and yeah. I were not like involved monetarily. We just did beta testing for zero. And I think I'm not sure. I didn't do Azure. Did you do Azure? Uh, uh I, I, t I tried it. It's like, they gave me everything I needed. Okay. okay. I, didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't really go through it. Cause I was yeah. really busy at the time, but they, they provided me any resources I want. If I needed to do this, if I want to correct. Yeah. Guides. But, but basically I just wanted to just wanted yeah, to get it out there. And it's, yeah. It's like, um, for example, like Colin black, contributor for a site uh he was paid for his work whether or not it ends up being used and, and he's not gonna he, he's not covering any NS america games for yeah we haven't set like a time limit but you know for the foreseeable future since he yeah. was now, paid by nas america so he's not gonna cover well, i obviously i was not involved at all but i did play the geofront translations but the, pretty soon after azure came out uh the geofront translation of azure like nice ended up making the announcement of the localization not long after that it was like if i remember right wasn't it within like a couple of weeks or a week like yeah, azure came out and uh, like azure came out and then immediately geofront had to like hide the public facing uh patch information well, because it, it wasn't even so much hiding they out they outright took it off the site um, oh yeah from what i understand and 
I'm not was sure how that... much it. Uh... Sorry, I, just, I have a lot of thoughts in my head. I was just wondering, like, did was there a lot of vitriol with Nice America when they when those got taken down too? Like it just seems like this more recent thing with yeah. Kuro seems a lot more volatile for whatever. Well, reason. the thing with Kuro is way more volatile because, like Crossbell, it's like whatever you're announcing a localization and what whatnot. And people, if they want to, they can still find it. It's like it was like some people were upset that it was delisted, but everyone knew that you could still get the patches if you wanted to. The thing with Kuro is that we're already going to be waiting three years for Hajimari or Reverie in the West. And Crow is going to be similar, and Crow 2 is likely going to be similar. So there are people right now that, like, no, I'll just say it. You can go on Steam, search Crow no Kiseki. You can buy it for 50 bucks from Clouded Leopard. And then there is a patch, even now, even though that the uh, spreadsheet's been delisted, you can find a patch very easily to play that game in English. And if you wanted to support the official English release, which technically hasn't been announced yet, even though Nisa has sent a takedown notice to the Zero Field translation uh, group, you're going to be waiting for at least another two years. This is I, sorry if this is something I'm stuck on, but I just quickly searched for the Xanadu Next fan translation. It's on <laughs> romhacking.net right now. Like obviously, Exceed released that English. I'm just thinking like Exceed has also done this licensing fan translations before. But I don't know if they ever like con- did cease and desist or anything like that. They just licensed it and released it. I don't think they care. Right. Like, I mean, obviously, Xanadu Next, which is an excellent game, isn't going to be as big of a you know of a title or of a sale you know as you know a Kaseki game, a Trails game. But still, anyway, this might be a dumb question, idea. but do you think if Nice formally announced Nice America formally announced that they were going to release Kuro to be announced twenty twenty four? And then did the season desist? Would that have softened the blow, or would it have been still as equally annoying? I I think it if it would have softened it, it would have been like very minimally. Like uh, really, it's just like the cherry on top that they technically haven't even announced Kuro yet. Yeah, yeah. Like I, so, I feel like the these patches are like they just keep the community together during the di- the downtime, you know. And they just chose to strike now as like a terrible PR move. Yeah, and it's like, again, this is the same month that they're releasing the first game that they bought a fan translation for in the Trail series. It's like, I'll be honest, like, it, it, it's abundantly clear that the main reason this happened now is because of uh, just a few days ago, there was uh, the Steam top sellers list for July was made public, and Kuro was on it. And if you go to Kuro's uh, PC like Steam page, you'll see that like about 20% of the reviews are in English, which going by conventional wisdom of like 50, like 50 sales per review generally, that's about 5,000 sales for people that bought like Kuro on PC specifically to use the translation patch, which it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's in that's less all, that's, than that, that's, that's money going to Clouded Leopard and not NAS America. So yeah, that's that's like 5,000 like. Even if those people were to double dip, like you can't assume that, obviously. So it's like from Nisa's standpoint, it's like, well, that's 5,000 lost sales already, and it's only going to increase from there. And mm-hmm. uh, I-, I still think it was a terrible decision on their part. I can understand the thought process. I can still <laughs> uh, think that the uh, decision was uh, bad, but um, it's like I can understand where they came from. It's just like, 
it's a terrible situation to be like a trails fan in the West. And it's like, <clears throat> like I, it's like, I will like mention no that. I will mention that when I posted my, I post every month, I post the schedule for that month's RPGs. And there was a lot of people. This is, this is kind of funny. I posted it like literally hours before the, uh, the takedown announcement or takedown became public. And People were really excited for Trails from Zero. Like, you know, a lot of responses on our social feed saying, like, yes, I can finally play this or whatever. Well, you know, I know we've already talked about it. I know, and I then, know and then like, after the, uh, excuse me, uh, but after the, uh, the takedown, then there was a bunch of, like, a follow-up wave of tweets saying, like, well, now I can't support this. <laughs> like, okay. Well, I think we've, we've talked about this several times in the past, but, like, for Trails from Zero's official English release, uh, I think, Adam, you're the, you're the one we're counting on, uh, at least from a podcast standpoint, because all the rest of us have either played it in Japanese or with a fan translation. Uh, Zero is really great. It might be my favorite in the series. So, like, trying to, trying to end this on a positive note, uh, regardless of who is publishing it, now. Zero's I just feel team. terrible now because uh, it's, like, the, the most immediate fallout, like, um, from this... Uh, from this whole situation is, is that like, obviously people are still going to be able to play crow in English if they want to, because like, it's the internet, that shit doesn't go away. Right. Uh, but if there will be a crow to like fan translation spreadsheet, it probably won't be nearly as good and will probably take significantly longer. Whereas the crow spreadsheet took like five months. I want to say it was like done really fast from what I heard. So it's like, I, I kind of feel terrible because it's like I'm like I'm really excited for Kuro too. It's coming out this month in Japan. I already have it like pre-ordered. I don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> because I feel like with everyone that follows me, it'll it, it'll just be like, yeah, you guys won't even be able to even play this with a spreadsheet translation now. You have to wait until 2025. And it's like I don't want to feel that way. <laughs> yeah, my friends are basically saying, oh, I'm not even going to play Kuro two now. It's like you just left me hanging in the middle arc. Because they were using that fan patch, and now you left me hanging. So it's like, who gives a fuck? Uh, it's well, like, the one good, the one good news about that is that at least Kuro is like one of maybe two game, two games in the series that does not end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> so yeah, it's self-contained. I mean, zero. If you beat zero, it's pretty self-contained. If there was no zero, it's like, yeah, that's a pretty good ending point as well. So. I don't know. It's it's just a terrible situation in my opinion. I feel like like I think they should have waited a little longer to do that takedown. But you know, it's like is it even considered the legal territory? I mean, there's like guides and game facts that are translations of like video game works. It's like now it's like you're opening whole can of worms. I think yeah. when it comes to translations and people are paying money not for the translation but using it, I think that's where it gets tricky. Like yeah, the thing is, though, <laughs> is that it's just like it was just like public facing like spreadsheets and mm -hmm. like they sent the cease and this well not cease and desist. They sent the uh, takedown like uh, a request to the spreadsheet. And it's like if your argument is and it's probably a case of that what they really wanted to get at was the patches that were released right. anonymously on 4chan. It, and, and honestly, that's kind of like the thing that feels the shittiest is that like everyone knows that's made the main reason why they wanted this shit like gone and like the spreadsheets even if it's a legal gray area it's not like they're profiting off of this it's not like they're doing anything morally wrong it's like that's that's probably the most frustrating thing is that no one's doing anything to be ashamed of or to be like guilty of here because they're still buying the game like it's just not going into the pockets of the 
English publisher who hasn't announced it. It's just yeah. And and another thing is uh, I want to say is that uh, didn't Zero Field helped out some of the original like GeoFront translation? Like there's some some I don't know about that. Like any of the specifics there, like, but I remember like certain parts of like early early days of the translation patches. Like they have some like the translation taken from it. I don't know. That's some of the things I heard. But if that's the case, is like <laughs> it's like aren't you just kind of like hitting where you started? It's like I don't know. I think Nisa done completely a stupid move today, or yeah. not today, the last two days. But yeah, it's like all my condolences to all my friends at Zero Field. They're all like very passionate people that were only doing what they thought would be best for the series in the West. Which, I mean, it's just a shitty situation all around. Uh, I can't even really blame anyone that doesn't feel right supporting Nisa after this, because while they're well within the rights, it's like, it still feels terrible. Because, like, I had, like, multiple friends that were playing through Kuro when the, uh, when the uh, takedown thing dropped, and I had to find them, like, a backup of the spreadsheet so they could finish their playthrough. It's like, they gave Falcon money. They were just playing the games that weren't officially announced for localization that as far as we know, aren't going to be out for another two years at the least. And it's just, man, just all around doesn't feel good. Situation's not fun. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to address, like from a site perspective on Nice, on Nice America. I really don't think so. Like we're still obviously going to cover Trails from Zero. I forget who's slated to review that. Um, I'll just mention this one thing. Uh, Somebody wondering like if we were going to cover it on the site and they were actually kind of like cynical about it like oh, are you going to get blacklisted by nas america it's like well if you if you haven't been paying attention we actually don't really cover a lot of like the kuro japanese like day-to-day news or week-to-week news on the site yeah. honestly because it's just so far out in english that we're just like you know we'll wait so I think James might put up like an op-ed maybe if oh, you know, he gets I'm time sure. for it. Sure. But like, that's not the reason why we didn't like cover this as a news item. We just typically haven't covered Kuro 2 or even any Japanese Falcom stuff as a news item. Not too much. We, we do like the big headlines, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I did my features for Hajimari and Kuro, which were yeah. essentially unscored reviews. Like, let's be real here. But um. And I'll, and I'll probably do it for Kuro too, but it's just one of those things where, like, especially after, like, and I know that my opinion on Cold Steel 4 is very much not the mainstream opinion on the game, and I get that. But uh, especially after all of the vitriol I got for it, when I'm far from the only person that was disappointed by it. I think the it's, hardcore fans are more disappointed in it. Usually. Yeah, it, but what I was going to say is that it's just, like, it's been, especially with the long translation gap and the fact that I... I've been studying Japanese since 2015, so I, I can go through the games in Japanese. I've been going through the games in Japanese. It's... I think I said when I uh, finished Hajimari that I probably wasn't going to play a Trails game in English ever again, and it wasn't because it was out of spite or anything, but just because of the like situation where it's like, they're not going to get caught up by the time the series is like finished in Japanese, we're not going to have the final game. The series be a simultaneous release in like Japan and the West. And like, who knows what the wait's going to be, even if they start catching up by then, like a year and a half, two years, it's just, I don't know. 
it's just I, I just wanted to mention that like no we are not worried about like getting blacklisted from nas america you gave it a five uh, we're not yeah, scared I, of that I, I, i'm personally well, yeah. not afraid i'm personally not afraid of that because i feel like they 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 probably know that like this site is one of their best bets for uh, labyrinth of Galleria coverage specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Well, the nice thing about our site is that you know if we don't get a review code, we just buy it ourselves and cover it. Like that, uh, yep. that's happened before. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, if there's an omission of a news story, usually that only just speaks to the fact that we are an English facing website and we cover primarily western releases and press releases like for Kuro, i actually pulled up our all of our coverage on it we covered when it was announced when it got a japanese release date we had a few tetracasts when we linked to it because james had played it james obviously uh wrote up his feature on it which is kind of like an unofficial review sort of so to speak uh an unscored yeah. review um and then we talked we also talked about like release dates to the pc version of Kuro, and then obviously once it gets uh an english release basically we don't have the bandwidth uh, or just staffing power to cover the the week-to-week marketing, like Adam said, of a Japanese-only release that hasn't been officially announced in English. So if there's an absence of talking about Kuro or Kuro 2, that's kind of mostly all that re- dials back to. Exactly. Well, so yeah, we're still going to cover Nice America games, uh, obviously with the caveat that James brought up earlier, that we are being uh, open and transparent about those that did help with the uh geo front efforts either as a contributor or a tester um and then yeah we are in, in several ways and to different extents fans of the series just like our listeners like i played the geo front version of the um uh, of the uh, zero and azure i managed to get it from geo front before it was taken down officially because of nice america so like we are in the same boat in a lot of ways uh i don't know if anyone on our staff or contributors were playing kuro with the spreadsheet but i wouldn't be surprised if someone was or i was think Chow Chow started, well, right? Chow, yeah oh, Chow Chow did, did. <laughs> and i know that I know Colin is going through it with the uh, with the PC patch. Oh, I went for the PC patch. The yeah. PC patch is solid. I would say yeah. uh, not everything's translated. Like the NPCs are, you know, some are translated and some are not. But other than that, the game is completely functional. You can beat it to the end with the main story. Uh, oh, did you did you finish it? I didn't finish it, but from what I have seen, you can actually beat it to the end. Um, they fix it. They they update the patches like every single day. Um, there are some like some caveats, like one of the pa- like one of the chapters, uh, because the spreadsheet uses that party. Uh, it only has translation if you use that party. So you use like a different party members. There's no translation on that. You know? like, there are certain moments like that. But other than that, I, I think it's perfectly sourced. You can use it to like beat the whole game. Yeah, and I think I saw like uh, Scott was playing through it that way too. So. It's like obviously, like like I was saying, the reason this probably happened is because the Kuro PC version being fifty bucks and having a day one English patch that, while not perfect, is more than serviceable. And as America probably got really uncomfortable about that. End of the day, that's probably what happened. Like I said, I I don't think they should have done that. Like the fan base for like trans like fan translation, that group is like a very small community. And you're not really doing any sales. Like it won't not really hurt your sales in the long run. All it does is make you look bad by doing something like this. 
At least that's my take on it, anyways. So I'm going to ask a question that might make me look like an idiot. So obviously, Nice America recently announced uh, September 7th a Nisa showcase, which most people have. Uh, at least I won't say most people. A large number of people have been piling on, basically talking about their displeasure with the recent takedown. D- do you think it's possible that we'll see? Kuro no, announcement? because they they leaked. They, they were what leaked. they were going to announce. Uh, Unless for some. So basically, what happened is. As soon as they announced this showcase, which is next week on the 7th, I believe, uh, their storefront leaked the announced games. It was um, the new Void Terrarium, the Odin Sphere remaster, uh, a... No, no, it's, mir- it's Grim. Sorry? Grim there's a murder mystery game, and then there's that uh, that Monster Meal, like, survival strategy RPG. And Kuro wasn't listed on the site. Now, maybe it's possible it'll come up, I guess, and it just wasn't on the site, but it doesn't seem like it. So those seem to be the games that are announcing they might announce like a release date for azure uh i i i, I kind of expect azure to be you know january february you know really early Well, because because they've already like released like character spotlight trailers for azure right. ahead of zero exactly. coming out so it, it seems like it's going to be kind of bang bang for zero and azure which yeah i'm uh, like for, I said, i'm guessing january february which if we're going to get caught up it needs to happen i i still think that getting zero and azure out in official english was even though at the cost of delaying releasing other games was probably the right move in the long run, rather than having those two be skipped. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they can't really judge that until uh, we get to a point where things aren't so uh, heated or volatile about reception. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to bring up a totally unrelated, well, not totally unrelated, but uh, an NAS America-related topic here. So they recently released the uh, Printy Collects, Printy Presents Volume 3, which is yeah. Rhapsody and uh, La Pucelle. And I think mm-hmm. this is like three for three with one of the games on the Switch version has apparently an unavoidable bug where it crashes. Apparently just, the PC version also had that issue. It was just patched like day one. Oh, yeah, so it's just kind of like, how does this happen three in a row? Like, obvi- I, I don't know if they aren't catching it or if they're catching it, but they're just not fixing it fast enough. It's just, it's just like, ah, forget about it. Like, that's we'll, not, we'll that's not, that's not an aberration. That's a trend. So yeah, they have a bad track record <laughs> online. People always give them shit about stuff that they did back in the day. Like, I thought maybe all those stuff has been over with, but I guess it still happens today. Well, obviously, we'll report on, even though I guess it was leaked, anything that comes out of the Nice Showcase uh, for next week on the podcast. And you've heard our honest thanks, uh, thoughts on their takedown of the spreadsheet. Because in a lot of ways, we're fans of the series in different respects, just like our listeners. So it affects us in a lot of the same ways, especially when we have multiple contributors that were just planning on playing Kuro with the same spreadsheet that was taken down. So with that addendum at the very end of our podcast out of the way, I think it kind of covers us for what we're going to talk about. Uh, I think next week we'll get back into talking about more recent releases. Uh, Obviously, September looks like it's a pretty busy month with uh, Valkyrie Elysium, Dio Field, Trails from Zero, uh, a few other like voice of cards. Yeah, Voice of Cards is now in there, Steel Rising, and uh, a lot of those indie games that we talked about, like uh, The Outbound Ghost and things like that. So September is surprisingly pretty deep, and I don't think it's going to let up from there. So we had this little bit of a gap week here, uh, which maybe is good that we can get Josh back to discuss some of the other games uh, as we go into September. I think he has been playing a little bit of the Made in Abyss game, so uh, following... Which I always forget the subtitle that made an abyss game. Binary star falling into darkness. There you go. Yeah. So maybe we'll get him back next week to talk about that. Hopefully he gets his computer uh, back on uh, together. 
yeah, uh, go ahead and go to the website to see James's two features for um, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak and Final Fantasy XIV Patch 6.2. We also do have the news posts from Kite Steinbuck that detail all of the streaming dates uh, for Tokyo Game Show for both Square Enix and uh, some, some of the other publishers that have some uh, JRPG or JRPG-adjacent titles uh, going to be detailed. So uh, still a couple weeks away for that. So won't be any new news on that part for next week, but the week after will be Tokyo Game Show. We'll follow up on anything that comes out of there. And then, of course, all the other news for all the other release dates are up on the site. You can find our RPG site on all the social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Uh, you can go to our Discord, discord.gg slash RPG site. If you do listen to this podcast and you uh, enjoy it, uh, go ahead and leave us a review. Leave us an honest review, and we love reading those whenever we get them. So let us know what you think and what we can do better and what we're doing great. Hopefully there's at least something we're doing great. Uh, and you'll hear from us next time. So until then, stay safe and take care. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>